welcome to OMG with Billy Bonzari. So, guys, I just want to welcome you all on board um, to OMG with Billy Bonzari. This podcast has been months in the making, and if you came into contact with me, in the past probably five months, I'm sure I've burned the ear off you at some stage and told you about the podcast. Um, so I'm really, really excited to be finally working on it and getting it out there. And yeah, it's just been an amazing experience so far. And I know I shout out Carl, my amazing producer um, and confidant, we'll say, through this whole experience. He's been absolutely amazing. And um, he definitely deserves guest this to heaven when his time comes because, oh my God, not well, hotel. Population one, presidential suite, order the fucking hors d'oeuvres, fire up the engines, fill up the bath. And then also as well, I really need to shout out the amazing Luke Dalton, um, who's worked on, who's done everything for me in terms of like the visual identity of the podcast. Like he has been the most amazing artist to collaborate with and to work with and just to kind of fucking riff off and it's been the best experience ever like I worked with Luke a few years ago in an agency the most amazing job I've ever had in my life in Think House and um, that's where I met Luke and he is just phenomenal at what he does and it's just been such a pleasure he came up with the whole brand idea we worked on a different title and like different kind of color scheme and different vibe altogether. Um a couple of months ago and it just didn't feel right and neither of us were like crazily obsessed and then I kind of went back to the drawing board and came up with the new name and I literally sent two reference images to Luke Um, I'm actually going to dig it up on my phone because I actually think it's really nice to reflect on these kind of things creatively like it's it's nice to kind of look back and see where you came from on a project to where you are Basically, I'm talking shy. I sent him an image of Andy Warhol's Brillo boxes, um, the soap pads, the like classic kind of like pop arty, really kind of just poppy color scheme of like royal blue, McDonald's red, and um, white. And it was like the three 24 giant size packages boxes image, which is just so iconic and gorgeous. Um, also referenced on like a Maloko Greatest Hits that was kind of what was in my head and then I also sent him on a picture of bubble chum gum from like the 1950s like sweet confectionery packaging which is like the same kind of black white and red colour schemes and I just said Luke I'm obsessed with this vibe and I said I want to call it OMG and they came, he came back with the most amazing branding and like visual identity and it's just been such a fucking thrill and like I can't wait to do multiple series to kind of go back to the drawing board and like kind of come up with the new era of the same kind of vibe and just see where the artwork goes I couldn't be talking any more shy let's get on with the show so guys after all of my <laughs> absolute shy talk I just have to get these things out because I really want I really want this to be like a cozy this sounds so cringy as well who do I think I am the gay blind boy but I do want this to be like a really cozy, intimate experience where we really are just curling up on the couch, drinking gorgeous wine, smoking cigs, my love, and talking shite. So I did have to get all that across, um, but let's just get to it. So guys, welcome to OMG with Billy Bonzari. Um, on episode one, what we're going to be talking about is Madonna. All things Madonna, but mostly the Celebration Tour. Um, if anyone's been 
keeping up to date with my Instagram, you'll know that I was there. Um, not the weekend gone, the weekend previous. It was absolutely amazing. Like it really was. I think it was like just my whole life has kind of been leading up to that moment. Um, just in terms of like my musical taste, how that's evolved. Um, going to concerts, attending concerts as a kid. And it's just kind of everything for me kind of just seemed to... It was just a total build-up, basically, in my life to being able to see Madonna live on stage in Antwerp, of all places, so random. We'll never go back again. I'll fill you guys in on why. <laughs> fucking kip. No, it wasn't a fucking kip. That's terrible. It was actually a beautiful city. Spotless clean. If my mum was there, that's exactly what she'd say. Carol, it was absolutely spotless. But I think if you're coming back from a city and you're talking about um, the sanitisation, um, I think that says it all, my love. <laughs> But anyway, um, yeah, so basically I went to see Madonna and it was just a penultimate experience for me. It was just everything. It was all encompassing. I never thought I'd get to see her live ever. I thought I kind of missed that boat. I didn't think she'd tour again. I think when she did her last tour, the Madame X tour in 2019, it was um, it was more of an intimate um, kind of theatre kind of... It was just a more of an intimate show. I never thought she'd do like a full scale pop concert in arenas again um so it was amazing to be able to see her i've obviously followed her career since i was alive and able to do so since i was watching mtv as a kid i remember <clears throat> when i was i was six years of age when the music album was released and that was when i was really in my mtv bag you know just literally standing in front of the tv in my parents sitting room and just having everything just kind of wash over me and just being so consumed by the imagery and the music and like and just like the pop sensibility of it all the dance routines the music music videos and um yeah I just remember the music album by Madonna came out was the music single and then don't tell me and I just remember standing in front of my television and just falling in love it was just so meaningful and profound to me um I'll never, ever, ever forget the impact that the Don't Tell Me video had on me as a child. Just the songs, the hook, the guitar riff, the way Madonna looked, the fucking homoerotic fucking gay imagery of those cowboys just dancing in front of the fucking, the green screen, kicking their boots in the dust. It was just, honestly guys, I cannot vocalise or put into words how impactful that experience was on me as a kid who was just so disillusioned with my life around me. And I know that sounds so dramatic and emo for, uh, you know, reflections on my six-year-old life in the suburbs of Dublin, you know? Like, it's not like I was um, really, sl like, slogging it, but I was really disillusioned and unhappy and uninspired by, you know, uh, Temple Oak and, like, um, gotta practice. It just wasn't my life. Um, but what was my life was... Madonna, really, and fucking Jamie King and Mirways and Donatella Versace and just the fantasy. I really got lost in it. I followed Madonna's career since the year 2000. So to be able to see her in the year 2023 as a 29-year-old, um, fully-fleshed human, I don't know if I'd say that, but just like if I could stand beside my six-year-old self in, in my parents' front room and say, like, you're going to see this woman live, like she's going to be standing meters away from you and she's gonna have had an amazing career since this point and you're gonna grow up and live in a world where that's your reality you know you're not gonna be 
playing PlayStation on your um, your road with the kids. You know, you're not going to be having to go to fucking hurling or ga practice. You're going to be living your life with a really gorgeous friend from an amazing job that you worked in, just fully in your fucking era with Madonna standing in front of you. I think it's pretty profound, really. And um, emotional. But anyway, look, I'm going to just get to it. Um, we're going to talk about the concert shortly. But before we do that, I just want to talk about my week because that's kind of going to be the format. I don't really want to have too much of a format with this podcast because I'm just not that basic, to be honest. I hate really formatted podcasts. It's lazy and boring. And I want to kind of meander and I want to go off and I want to get passionate um, and I want to fill you guys in. So... <clears throat> There's not going to be too much of a format, but also at the same time, there's going to be very much a format. Um, so I'm going to just catch you guys up on my week previous. So what did I get up to, Carl? Oh, yeah. He's like, look at your notes. <laughs> totally drew a blank there. Um, I was very kindly invited down to Cork with Guinness um, for the Cork, the Guinness Cork Jazz Fest, which was absolutely amazing. So me and Carla headed down to Cork on Thursday. Oh my God, it was actually so funny looking back. Guys, I'm going to have Carla on the podcast loads. Um, I'm sure you guys already know who she is. Carla Tracy, the icon, the moment, my life partner. There's no one else I'd rather spend my life just going through laughing with. Like we just have such an outrageous time when we're together. Like everything is just hilarious. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Anyway, um... We headed down to Cork on Thursday and I have to say, guys, it was absolutely gorgeous. Like it was the most, it was just like a dream-like few days. Um, so basically we stayed in the Imperial Hotel, which was like really, just like, it just felt really authentic and gorgeous. And like, obviously there's so much going on in Cork around Jazz Fest, but the hotel that we were staying in, Basically, like, I'm so over new modern hotels with, like, pissy little fucking, you know, like those buses that, like, when people are, like, travelling around, backpacking around Asia and they're sleeping in, like, these fucking pods on buses overnight for, like, a 20-hour drive. Like, I'm sick of those fucking hotels just being erected, we'll say, thrown up in Dublin and us being forced to believe that that's, luxurious or even adequate to say the least I'm just so over that experience being sold to us in Dublin in Ireland in general anywhere like I'm just so over waking up in some fucking godforsaken hotel with no natural lighting banging my head off the ceiling reaching down for my you know charging wire accidentally fucking turning on a shower like do you know what I mean fuck off you, I'm so over it give me a gorgeous old historic hotel with lots of charm and and humor and 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 luxury in it in a kind of a an authentic way any day and genuinely that's exactly the way i described the imperial hotel it was absolutely gorgeous um and i definitely kind of felt that sense of like history and culture there because basically there's a suite in the hotel called the michael collins suite and the reason for that is michael collins stayed in the hotel um, the two nights before he he ended up passing away, like it's steeped in history, steeped in culture, steeped in tradition. They have his like um, I think it was a walking stick, which is kind of camp. Looking back, I'm like, why did he have a walking stick? 
Um, he was such a ride as well. Can we be honest? And as well, guys, I know people go bananas when I say this. I think Michael Collins, I was going to say Michael Jackson. <laughs> oh, we'll get to him later. I think Michael Collins was definitely a bisexual king. Like he really was. He looked, why do I think that? First of all, just like he looked it. Like he just had that kind of elegance, grace, sensitivity, but also like masculinity. Not that that's what makes a bi bisexual person or a sexually fluid person. But I just mean he definitely was bi-coded. Like he really was. Like I know for a fact, we don't know him for a fact, that he partook in all of the above. Allegedly. Well, he's not going to sue me, babe. Maybe his estate will. There's a nephew somewhere who's insecure about his own. <laughs> Goings on. No, but like really I do. I think he was just, I think he was just a bi-king. I really do. I feel a connection to him. And I really felt the connection when I stayed in the hotel. Like, I really do mean this. It was just gorgeous. There's like a bench outside. There's like a statue of him. Me and Carla were sitting outside at like 3 a.m. Screaming, kikiing, passersby, drinks, cigs, the whole thing. And um, she was like, Billy, who is this guy? I was like, Carla, that's Michael Collins, my love. Very famous forefounder of this country, my love. Um, but now, basically, the hotel, the whole hotel was just seeped in tradition. It was absolutely gorgeous. Like when we woke up in the morning, <clears throat> we'd be heading downstairs for breakfast, and like there'd be like four or five different rooms with like different bands and musicians setting up for the day, sound checking, getting into their flow. You know, you could just kind of hear the music leaking out from room to room. It was just really gorgeous. And then the entire weekend was like that. Like every single bar, absolutely packed. People everywhere, loads of different musicians and types of music and people championing that. And it was just really, really lovely to be around. Um, there was a lovely little group of people that Guinness brought down for the weekend as well. So it was really, really nice to kind of meet them and kiki with them. Um, we went to see Macy Gray in the Opera House, which was really, really gorgeous. And guys, honestly, I think Macy Gray deserves her own episode. Like, I cannot with Macy Gray. She is so so talented, so camp, so outrageous, so hilarious, so charismatic. Like, she's crazy granny vibes in the chicest way possible. Like, that to me is, like, the highest compliment. She was absolutely gorgeous, so camp. She's basically wearing, like, a crazy, like, nightdress on stage um, with, like, fingerless gloves and, her like, her hair. And she's just so talented like it's like oh she just it's just like every single note she sings just really just draws you in like she's just she's just amazing and um to hear her like at cork jazz at the um or on stage in the opera house it was just such an experience it really was it was gorgeous i'm going to be so honest i never ever would have bought a ticket to see Macy Gray or if it was in Dublin and it was like some like you know really really handy for me to go I probably wouldn't have went um I think that's what the beauty of the whole thing was because it kind of it just made me appreciate something that was just kind of um outside of my peripheral we'll say but so gorgeous while I was there and I think that's kind of what encompassed the whole weekend for me it was just such a lovely energy I felt really lucky to be there um we just had the best time and yeah it did kind of really set me back to Dublin re-inspired and kind of reinvigorated because guys I'm going to be so honest like my life has been crazy the last few weeks the last few months like I've had the most amazing opportunities and I've had the most amazing experiences and I've met the most amazing people but to be very honest like 
I've been really stretched and like really feeling it and like trying to work my arse off and really kind of make my mark in the world and kind of get going on the the trajectory that I want to be on. But like it's really been intense and um, full on. And like I did say when I launched the podcast that this is going to be tales from behind the decks. And I mean that in every sense of the word if it's like a gorgeous gig that I do or something that I want to talk about creatively, but also like what it's actually really like to be me. <laughs> I really do mean that, you know, good and bad. So, um, but now onto the reason why everyone came here, the hook I suppose that I drew you all in with is Madonna. Let's talk about Madonna, the celebration tour live from Antwerp, such a random city, but we'll get to that. Um, it really was one of it probably it was probably the all time uh, best concert experience I've ever had in my life. Like the production value, I think just getting to see Madonna in general. Um, I did two nights. Obviously, went solo. Obviously, I was with my friend Dylan, my one of my best duties who I used to work with in Think House. Um, total like makes me look so inadequate in terms of like pop culture and like just music and like fandom and the girlies he's amazing um and talented and gorgeous and we've just always kikied about our girlies so it was an amazing experience to be able to go and see madonna with him um but for the first night we we were in separate parts of the arena i essentially bought a ticket literally just a few hours before the show that was always my plan has anyone ever used ticket swap i just thought it was so outrageously gorgeous like I bought a ticket an hour before the show um for quite cheap and yeah, it was perfect like so basically I was sitting kind of far away and I got to take the whole production in and then for the second night I was standing with Dylan and that was really really gorgeous so it was amazing to see the show from kind of you know either kind of ends of the spectrum so basically just a little bit of background on uh, my personal relationship with this tour um, Madonna announced the tour in January of this year. Obviously, there was a lot of speculation. Um, was she going to do a tour? Basically, she released her compilation album, Finally Enough Love, 50 Number Ones, in August of 22. And obviously, there was such uh, a brouhaha around the album. And, oh my God, did you guys hear that? Spagoot, what's her name again? Spagoot. <laughs> I like Spagoot a bit better. I think Spagoot's more... Uh, it's more masculine. So like I said, my personal relationship with this tour kicked off um, in January, essentially, when it was announced. Like I said, there was lots of speculation. Was there going to be a tour or not? Um, as Madonna released her compilation album, Finally Enough Love, in August of last year, which was basically um, 50 number one hits over 40 years. Her first album was uh, referred to as the first album, but was actually called Madonna. It was just self-titled um, when it came out in 1983. So 40 years of hits and 40, 50 number ones on the album, 50 Billboard dance number ones. Um, so lots of remixes, lots of hot takes. My own kind of personal problems with the album was that they didn't include the like full club mixes of a lot of the songs. Like for example, Get Into The Groove, um, the dance remix, which was remixed by Shep Pettibone, which is one of the most amazing mixes of any song ever, but especially from the 80s, from that era. Um, it was first released on the You Can Dance 
remix album, which I think to as far as my knowledge stretches was one of the first, if not the first remix album that was ever released. It was released in 1987 and um, it features the Get Into The Groove, Shep Pettibone club mix, which is, I think it's nearly eight minutes and I play it a lot in my sets. But it sounds old, like it sounds like it's from 1987. It well, hasn't been remastered. Um, it's definitely of its time, but also just phenomenal, like absolutely gorgeous. Um, there's a piano break in the middle that goes on for like a minute and 30 seconds. Like it really is just an amazing track to play in a club. It just gets people on your side because everyone loves getting to the groove. But to play like an eight minute extended dance mix of that song, it really is special. But when they released the compilation album in August, they included like an edit of that song and lots of the tracks on the album are edits of like eight minutes, seven minutes, six minute dance remixes, which was a little bit of a funny one. I remember Rocky Delgado had a post up on his Instagram and he kind of was just like, what the fuck? Like, why would you do? Why would you release a compilation album and include edits? Anyway, that's just kind of DJ talk. What a cringy thing to say. But it is true. It's an amazing album and she's had an amazing career and 50 number ones over 40 years. It really is exceptional. So um, the tour was a celebration essentially of that. Um, But if anyone can just kind of cast their mind back to last year, kind of started off in the summer, there was talks of a Madonna biopic, obviously the last two biopics that we saw that were huge box office smashes, we'll say, were the Elton John biopic and obviously the Freddie Mercury biopic, which were huge for the studio, like the biggest movies of the year released when they were released. And obviously I think just studio heads, being studio heads, wanted to cash in on that. And I think really the last living legend that hasn't been covered extensively, I suppose, in film and documentary, especially obviously other than anything she produced and put out herself is Madonna. And um, there was talks of a Madonna biopic being released and obviously being kind of cooked behind the scenes. And the rumor has it, the legend has it, that Madonna got wind that there was a, a studio planning on telling the story of her life. And she said, absolutely not on my watch, not in my time, not while I'm alive and kicking. And she went about telling the story herself. And she had a studio involved and she was writing the screenplay and she was set to direct. Um, and I think Madonna's history on screen is a completely different episode and it's probably 10 or 20 episodes really um, but she does have an extremely rich career in film and she basically just wanted to go about it herself her last project that she directed fully was um, a biopic on the Duke of Windsor and Wallace Simpson called We W.E. which was released in 2011 just kind of in between the celebration greatest hits compilation in 2009 and the MDM, uh, MDNA album in 2012. Um, it's an amazing film really to be honest but she just didn't get her flowers. People didn't take her seriously as a director but I think for the biopic movie how could you not take the person seriously if they're directing the story of their life essentially. So um, there was lots of reports around what was going on behind the scenes in terms of the film and the Madonna boot camp kind of kicked off on Twitter and that was like a massive uh, talking point for the gays and for uh, queer adjacent people we'll say who are interested in pop culture but kind of it kind of came a bit of a phenomenon the Madonna boot camp 
and basically there was a couple of lead actresses in the mix to play Madonna, which was obviously a massive talking point in the media. Um, in the running was Florence Pugh, Alexa Demi, Odessa Young and Julia Garner, who actually went on to steal the crown. Basically, she worked her arse off in the Madonna boot camp and stole the crown and it was announced that she was set to play Madonna. And obviously we were all super excited, but then whatever went on in the meantime, funding fell through. I think as the movie began to be fleshed out, I think they realised that it was going to cost an absolute bomb and investors pulled out, the studio weren't willing to stand by it. So essentially the project was shelved and it was just a massive blow, I think, to Madonna fans all around the world because we were really, really into it. We were excited. We were happy that she was involved and she was fucking running. Could you, guys, honestly, take a second. Could you imagine the Madonna boot camp? Like, what did that look like day to day? Like, how did that pan out? Was it like, okay, you're stuffed into a Gautier corset every morning at 7 a.m. You read Kabbalah scriptures. Uh, the actresses who were in, in the running to play Madonna were all put through. And this is like dead serious. This is not like folklore. Like it was an actual thing. The actresses who were in the lead to play Madonna were put through a Madonna boot camp, essentially. And they had to like study about her life, watch her live performances, live like her, breathe like her, eat like her, be like her, which is obviously such a fucking trip. Um, so I'd love to see the behind the scenes of what went on at the Madonna boot camp. But you know the girls were NDA'd up to their fucking titulars. <laughs> because like no one, like, and I think this is such, like it really is, it's the reason why I just absolutely adore Madonna because she's so involved in absolutely every sense of every single thing she does. And this is coming off the back of the Britney Spears um, tell-all, we'll say, um, her autobiography, which was released only last week. And like, guys, I adore Britney. Britney is my fucking... She's like, she's she's the older cousin that we all grew up with as younger millennials who you love and adore and support and have seen struggle and have seen win. But there's just so much love there, regardless of what goes on or what she does or how harrowing things get or seem. We all love her to bits, you know, and we're always rooting for her. Like, that's the way Britney feels to me. But also at the same time, I'm very aware of her lack of involvement in her career. Like, I'm super aware of when she has been involved and the projects she has working on. But I'm also very, very aware of how uninvolved she is. But I think with Madonna, it's quite the opposite. She is the master of ceremonies. Like, she is the one that's orchestrating the Madonna boot camp. She's the one writing the script. She's writing the screenplay, for better or for worse. She's hyper involved in everything she does. And I just think as a fan, that's all you can ask for, for better or for worse, whether I absolutely adore the project or not. At least I know it's, it's been genuine. It's from her heart and soul. Um, so... That was her involvement, I suppose, with the biopic. Obviously, like I said, funding fell through and the project was shelved. Um, but I think what happened, which was a stroke of genius, was I think that was when Madonna decided to tell the story, essentially, of her career thus far. I think if anyone knows her trajectory so far, I think you're very aware that she's someone who looks forward and doesn't really dwell on the past and doesn't like to really go there. Um, which is fair enough, I think, for any creative. It's kind of harrowing, I suppose, to look back and start really getting into things. You kind of always want to be pushing yourself forward. And um, 
thinking about the future and your next project but I think with the whole biopic scenario I think that was when Madonna really looked back and said oh my god like what an extensive amazing career I've had so far and if I can't tell the story at this time through the medium of film I'm going to do it live on stage and there's no one who puts on a better show than Madonna like I mean really guys she set the the scene the blueprint for the modern pop tour with that being said on the history of the film that was shelved she decided to link up with her longtime tour collaborator Jamie King if you go and see a modern pop concert it's Madonna coded like Madonna set the stage she set the scene um her blonde ambition tour which took place in 1991 um or 1990 I'm pretty sure 1990 or 91 anyway her blonde ambition tour famously set the stage and set the scene and set the tone for the pop spectacle as we now know it like she was the first person to bring in segments and like proper artistic direction um interludes costume changes dance routines intro videos if you look at like the concert tours that happened before the blonde ambition tour in 1990 it's a vastly different space to what it was after like if you think of donna summer that kind of thing it was more of like a stage production just a live show but madonna kind of brought the element of theater combined with art video production um, choreography she really did set the scene so Madonna's groove essentially is a live show so I think when she was reflective on her past on her achievements and the costumes and the eras and the songs I think it was just the perfect storm and the perfect time for her to kind of whip up uh, a greatest hits show essentially which is exactly what she did so in January of 2023 of this year Madonna announced that she was going on tour um, I think for Annie homosexual <laughs> pop music fan it can be a really stressful time to think back to when your fave girly announced her tour because like you're thinking of your financial means you're thinking of like logistics where you are in the world is your fave coming to your city can you get the time off work there's so many different elements that go along with that um but she announced the tour in such a fucking weird madonna way like it's so strange she does so many random things that we look back as a fandom and say what the fuck was that all about basically she did she came out with a video and it was uh, kind of in the same kind of remit of the um in bed with madonna or truth or dare um concert film and it was kind of like a truth or dare after dinner black and white scenario um, featuring Madonna at a dinner table with the most random array of superstars Diplo, um, bisexual king, Michael Collins coded. I absolutely adore him. He's such a ride. He basically, he came out recently. I don't know. It was some interview a couple of months ago. at the start of the year, kind of around the same time. And the interviewer said, like, have you, are you, what's your sexuality? And he said, like, oh, well, I'm straight. And the interviewer said, have you ever done anything with guys? Or like, you know, whatever. And he said something along the lines of like, oh, well, I've gotten head from a couple of guys. And like, in that moment, I just thought, oh, Michael Collins. Michael Collins. <laughs> like, 
how perfect he's gorgeous and I definitely would have loved him to have been on the receiving end of his experiences we'll just say he's absolutely gorgeous so Diplo was there Amy Schumer who's just so fucking random and like beyond and like what the fuck are you doing here she was there let's just say um, read into that what you will Lil Wayne who is such a fucking like has anyone heard of Lil Wayne or thought about Lil Wayne in 15 years like what the fuck like he couldn't be any more random like, he's the most random person. Like, what's Lil Wayne doing in a room with Madonna? He famously did a track with Madonna for the Celebration album in 2009, which was the greatest hits compilation. Um, and she for her new music on that album, she did a track called Celebration with Paul Oakenfold. That's an absolute belter that she actually finished the tour with. Um, more on that as it comes. But then the other track that she released on the compilation album was called Celebration, which was a collaboration with Lil Wayne, which was just so beyond random and weird and kind of something collectively as a fan base, I think we all just try and forget about. But he popped his ugly head up, which is really ugly, I'm sorry, he's violent looking, he's violent looking, he's violent sounding. I think his career and his music he released, I think we all collectively should look back on that and just be like, that was a really dark time in the world. And we should try and forget him. Anyway, also in the video was Jack Black. He was at the fucking dinner table. Like, so weird. Jack Black, Lil Wayne, Amy Schumer, Diplo and Madonna. Amongst others. I think Julia Garner was there. I'm not 100% sure. But like such a random array of talent, we'll say loosely, um, when I'm referring to Lil Wayne anyway. But that was the... That was the kind of the hook with the announcement of the tour. Fans went crazy. People couldn't believe it. It was really exciting, to be honest. She did the whole typical, like, I'm blacking out my Instagram. I'm deleting all my old posts, which was also really genius because her posts leading up to that time were, were like, so random. It was when she was in her, like, full alien kind of face stage. Her photos were highly edited and doctored. And people were asking, what the fuck is up with Madonna? Like, I remember I showed my dad a picture of her. I was like, dad, this is what Madonna looks like right now. And guys, I really hate to talk about the way she looks physically. Like, it's so reductive of me to speak about her facial fucking features or how she was presented. But I do think just to give a background into just like the social media at the time and what she was putting out into the world, I do think it's important to give a background. But I remember showing my dad a picture. I was like, dad, this is Madonna. And he like... I think he, I think he actually said, Bill, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Bill, what the fuck is that? Like, what are you shoving in my face now? Like, it wasn't even like, who the fuck is that? Or like, what the fuck is going on with her? It was, what the fuck is that? Read into that what you will. I obviously think she's a queen always, but she was on her Madonna bullshit, basically, we'll say. Anyway, she did the whole wipeout thing. Everything went black. There was no posts. And then she went out with the tour announcement video, which is really camp looking back now. Camp as in the truest sense of the meaning, which is a failed seriousness, which it really was. It was just so bizarre. And like Guy O'Siri, who was her manager, coded. Anyway, she announced the tour. We were all delighted. And when she did, just to kind of go back to that point of like being a pop music fan and like your fave is announced in the tour. It's like, where are you in the world? What are your financial means? How many nights can you go and see her? Whereabouts is she coming to? Is she coming to your city? That whole thing. So we had our tickets in the bag. Absolutely delighted. We were just kind of waiting for the tour now at this stage to come. Um, Madonna was doing her teaser videos. She was rehearsing the crazy fucking face that she was going out with. It was just all amazing. And it was just so excited for me. Like, 
as a fan, just the thoughts of like, I'm going to see this concert live on stage. Like I just could not get my head around it. Like I said, I've been following Madonna for 23 years at this point. Um, watching back on all of her concert tours, the confession tour, the confessions tour, sticky and sweet, like these amazing pop culture moments that have crossed over and just really impacted me so much. So I was so excited at the thoughts of actually going to see her live. It was just too much. Anyway, in the meantime, Madonna's working on the show. Jamie King was brought on to direct. Jamie King, like I said, has been a massive um, collaborator in the pop culture music tour sphere, but especially with Madonna, like they've worked on every tour together since her Drowned World Tour, which took place in 2001. Um, so it was just super excited to kind of see it all unravel. Obviously, like I said, in the math of the biopic being shelved, it was like all about the tour. Um, Stuart Price was brought on as musical director, which was super exciting. Like I think once I heard that, that's when I really kicked into gear. Just a little bit of background on Stuart Price. He is um, a DJ and producer from London. He first worked with Madonna in 2004 on the Reinvention Tour, which really, really famously uh, stopped off in Slane Castle. That was the Slane Castle gig of 2004. It was Madonna's Reinvention Tour. I think it was absolutely lost on the people of Ireland. I really do think the people of Ireland do not deserve Madonna. It's just... (laughs) Like, it's just not a match. We don't have the taste levels. I'm sorry. We do not have the taste levels. Absolute Celtic goons. Anyway, the reinvention tour took place in 2001. Stuart Price at the time was a young, aspiring musical genius. And he was musical director. I don't know actually how he bagged that job, but he did. And he was amazing. Madonna fell in love with him. I think she just, Madonna's kind of thing that seems to be consistent in her career thus far is she has a really good way of spotting young talent latching onto it essentially, curating it, whatever, and kind of coming out with her own thing via that. Um, And that's essentially what she did with Stuart Price. She latched onto him. She absolutely loved him. And that tour took place in 2004. So when it was time to record her next album, the legend has it with the Confessions album, which is the album that Hung Up was taken from. I know all my girlies who come to my sets love Hung Up. Like, literally, it's one of my favourite songs to play. I play the Stuart Price uh, extended vocal mix every single set. I honestly think I've probably I've probably played 10 sets in my life that I haven't played that song. Um, it's just amazing. It's an absolute floor filler. It's pop genius. It's obviously the ABBA vocal. It's Swedish. It's Euro. It's London. It's mid-90s. It's perfection. Um, anyway, Stuart produced that album he went on to produce the Confessions album for Madonna after the reinvention tour. And I think for me and for fans alike, like that was just huge. Like once we heard that, that's Madonna at her best in our eyes. And we just revere Stuart in the highest regard. He is a DJ producer, music maestro. Like he is, he's just everything. He first started working with Madonna when he was just quite young and starting off in his career on the reinvention tour i actually don't know much around how the relationship came to be and how he booked the job on that tour but he was the um the musical director for the reinvention tour which took place in 2004 which was madonna's first greatest hits tour really she didn't have an album that she was touring with um her previous album before that was american life in 2003 which caused a lot of controversy and was met with a lot of backlash 
because like I said, um, it was kind of around the Bush administration era and she was angry and vocal and talked a lot about what was going on in America and the kind of disillusionment of the American dream, which gave us amazing tracks such as um, Hollywood and also like from that album, Nothing Fails, which is amazing. Um, she really fucked with what he was doing as a DJ and as a producer. Um, then she went on to create her Confessions album, which is pop music perfection. It really is. I think it's one of my favourite albums of all time. It's actually not my favourite Madonna album, but it is one of my favourite albums of all time. Um, she famously said to Stuart Price that she wanted the album to sound like ABBA on drugs. And with that, he went and created the backing track to Hung Up, which famously featured the ABBA sample from Gimme Gimme Gimme, which is also famously the second time in the history of the world that ABBA gave clearance for a sample, the first time being randomly to the Fugees. <laughs> Ready or not, I think it was something random. Anyway, I don't care to even dwell on that. Um, Hung Up is amazing. I play that song in every single one of my sets. It's just perfection. So that was the second time they worked together on the Confessions album. He obviously then went on to musical direct the Confessions tour and he has worked with Madonna really since then, on and off. Um, but when he was announced as musical director for the tour, that was kind of when I really took heat and said, this is going to be something really amazing. As I said, Jamie King was directing the entire show. Um, so it was kind of, everything was set to be really amazing and just be a classic Madonna tour. I've got to be so honest, as a fan, I was really conscious of her physicality, of her vocal ability, of her kind of just where she was in her mind, you know, like what her frame of mind was, how she was feeling about her own kind of back catalogue and reflecting on that. Like I said before, she's always been an artist that's pushed forward. Um, so it was definitely interesting to kind of see how it would play out. As fans, we were kind of drip fed teasers and behind the scenes pictures and rehearsals and stuff like that. Um, and everything looked really, really exciting until late June when it was announced that Madonna was actually quite sick in hospital and she spent some time in the ICU with a bacterial infection. Um, sepsis, essentially, which was never confirmed, but obviously widely speculated and more or less known. Um, I think it's really, really interesting and poignant to reflect on this time. Um, because essentially, it's probably one of the darkest times in her life and one of the most serious times when it comes to her health. Madonna's always been someone who's championed her own health and famously not partook in partying. She's never really been a drug girl. She only really interacts with cigarettes, we'll just say, when she's posing with them for pictures, which I kind of find cringy. I'm like, you're either a smoker or you're not, my love. Don't appropriate my culture. But basically, she's always been extremely healthy and hasn't really gotten lost in the party and scene. And this is like a woman who came up in the time of Danceteria and like post-54 New York. And I think you have to cast your mind back to that time and what that actually looked like and felt like for an aspiring artist. She came up around the same time as Keith Haring famously, who she's revered her. Like this is the time when heroin was rife. Like people were doing heroin at parties as if it was a party drug. She famously never partook in any of that. She was always extremely health conscious, violently obsessed with her vocal ability to the detriment of anyone who's in the studio with her in terms of air conditioning. Um, she really has kind of 
held herself in a really high regard and reflected that in terms of her choices. And I think what we saw as fans in like the last five years was that seemed to kind of go out the window. We kind of felt like her, you know, routine was slacking or changing. She didn't really seem to be as obsessed with her physical fitness. She was pictured to drink a lot. I don't know what she actually partaken in drinking, but she was pictured to drink a lot and she seemed to just kind of get a little bit loose. And I think as well, just in terms of her plastic surgery habits and what she kind of put in her body, that was reflected. I'm not going to go too in on her violent ass implants. <laughs> like essentially, that's exactly what it was. It was speculated to be the cause of her fucking bacterial infection. Like, guys, we have to be honest. Like, that's what caused her sepsis. Absolute bogey ass implants. And there was no need ever for that. She's not Nicki Minaj, you know. She's fucking Madonna. But look, who am I to judge what way she's feeling? Like, up against these girls at the minute but essentially that's what landed her what was allegedly thought to land her in the ICU with a bacterial infection in late June which obviously halted the plans for the tour which was due to start in August Um, the American leg was originally due to start in August and the European leg was due to start in London in October which it still did but obviously the American leg was cancelled and rescheduled but it was a really harrowing and hard time as a fan, to kind of see that play out. Like, I really did, guys. I'm not going to get into this too much. But I, it was kind of when I was first faced with Madonna's mortality. Like, you think Madonna, you think your your mom is never going to die? Just as a kid growing up, you just think that's never going to happen. But for me also, I thought Madonna was never going to die. And it was the first time I actually was faced with the re- very real possibility of her dying and, like, her being moral. And it was really, really awful to actually have to think about. Now, I... Obviously, it was far more awful to be one of her actual children um, or to be someone in her inner circle, but it was. It was a hard time, I think, for everyone. And she came out, and I think, really, the the magic of that experience was, I think, she realised that she was mortal. And she, like, she came out with a statement, and she thanked her kids, and she said when she woke up in the hospital, the first thing she thought about was her children. Like, she was in intensive care and essentially unconscious for five days. And she said when she came around from that, the first thing she thought about was her children first and her fans second and how she had to be there for them and couldn't let them down. So I think it was a really kind of humbling experience for her to go through. And I think in a really kind of sadistic way, that's what kind of really fueled the magic that was apparent in the tour because she kind of readjusted, settled and went forward with something to prove. I feel like she really felt like she had something to prove on this tour. And I think historically, when you look back at Madonna in her career, she's always been her best when she's felt like she's had something to prove. And I think that was really apparent and special. Um, So it was amazing to be able to see her with that fight in her, and especially so early on into the tour. So basically, the first stop was London. Obviously, because see, because the whole thing was postponed and the American leg was scrapped and rescheduled, instead of the tour starting off in the States in the summer, it started off in Europe in the autumn, with the first dates being in London. It was six sold-out nights. Um, when she arrived, they erected a flag outside the O2 Arena, and it was the same people who make the flags for the British royal family, like which is kind of a funny one to think of. Anyway... They erected a flag outside of the O2 and it was just really, really gorgeous and exciting. And that was the first string of shows. 
she absolutely slayed. Um, it was the first time, obviously, we had saw the direction and the costumes and the set list. Um, Bob the Drag Queen was also involved. And it was just amazing to kind of see how the whole thing panned out. Um, it's obviously a retrospective look back at her career, which has been 40 years. And, um, yeah, just as a fan, it was super excited to see that. And I was just so excited to see that in real life. So the second city of the tour was Antwerp, which is when my personal story starts. Um, to the absolute delight of producer Carl, who's after sitting up now and he's thinking, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe he'll get to the point. So to give you guys a bit of a background into the staging of the show, the main stage at the very top of the arena that the seats essentially are all kind of looking towards. Then there was um, a catwalk. Then there was two parallel kind of catwalks either side. And basically the whole concept was that they represent Midtown, downtown, east and west. I think that's it. I hope so. Oh my God, the Madonna fans are going to come for me. But basically, they just represent sections in New York. Um, Obviously, like, that's Madonna's bag. Like, that's where she came up. That was the city that made her. That was the scene that she was involved in in the 80s with Basquiat. So basically, when we got into the arena, we had a cocktail. We had a kinky with our Irish friends. And we kind of, like, camped out, essentially, to where we wanted to be in the arena in front of the stage that we kind of picked. That was, to be honest, it was kind of the handiest for us to get at. But looking back in hindsight, it was actually the best stage to be at, in my mind. Obviously, I am going to say that. But really, I did feel like we were really, really lucky in terms of where we were and how kind of seamless and with ease the whole thing was. Because I know sometimes at concerts, you know, there's fans taking out their, their spaces, which is totally fair. But for us, it was all very fluid, which was gorgeous. We were kind of standing at the end of one of the grids. I don't know, was it east or west? It's not my, that wouldn't be my forte. Let's just say that, my love. But basically, um, she did a lot of stage time there. Now, she actually did evenly, I think, kind of flow throughout the stages. But it just felt like there was lots of really gorgeous moments there where we were standing. And then we also had a really lovely view of the main stage, which was obviously at the very top of the arena, and of the catwalk. So we kind of had the three views on lockdown obviously just missing the other grid um so it was perfect really in my eyes um so we were obviously waiting for the show to start and the kind of holding screen in the arena that madonna has is so gorgeous it's basically just a picture of her in her kind of like 2020 21 22 bag like she's wearing like a veil it's kind of reminiscent of a look that she wore to the vmas after party in 2022 i think it was um it's like mother it's like basically it's like virgin mary but like madonna whore which is gorgeous there's obviously so much imagery there that's like so prolific and like long-standing but she just kind of has this veil over her head and then the image is completely distorted like her legs are stretched out she has a glass of wine it's very wobbly it's like a picture of madonna but you're on ketamine you're just about to go into a hole um, which is always gorgeous in my book um, and that was the the kind of holding screen so that was gorgeous and then basically the show starts and it's Bob the drag queen who appears kind of I don't know how they did this like logistically because it looked really really seamless but like I'm sure it would have been a nightmare but basically Bob the drag queen who is uh, RuPaul's drag race queen but that's really reductive to say like Bob has done amazing work before and after the show I don't want to reduce him to 
that reality TV show. He's an amazing prolific queen based in Brooklyn. But that's kind of where people will know Bob the Drag Queen fan. But basically Bob appears in the crowd in the full um, Madonna Vogue VMA 1990 performance. And if anyone hasn't seen that performance, which I'm sure you have, because it's one of the most iconic performances of all times, um, YouTube it for sure. It's like so iconic and amazing and gorgeous. But basically Madonna... In that in the performance of Vogue, she went for like a Marie Antoinette style, like it was full, like let them eat cake vibes, and it just felt really gorgeous and luxurious and cinematic. But basically, it's the exact same costume that Glenn Close wore in Dangerous Liaisons, which is like such an amazing fucking pop culture fact to think back on like it's like when two worlds collide like it's so special but anyway bob wore a recreation of that outfit for the tour and he kind of set the scene like he just kind of arrived being really like bob-esque and like charismatic and gorgeous and was interacting with the crowd loads and then kind of just started to talk about madonna and just kind of set the scene in that sense he talked about her career history and like what she's given us as fans and what she's given to the world and um, what she's like famous for and why we all love her. And then as that kind of kicked off and that kind of story was beginning to be told, there was like a montage behind Bob on the screens that was like, you know, music video clips, live performance clips. Um, and it just really kind of got the crowd going essentially at the last minute. Bob disappears underneath like a trapdoor on stage and the lights go down and the first intro to Nothing Really Matters kicks in. And honestly, it was one of the most gorgeous experiences I've ever had. It was absolutely gorgeous. Like that song was released on the Ray of Light album, 1998. I don't think it was ever performed live. Maybe it was on like the Reinvention Tour, but like it's not a song that Madonna has performed a lot at all, but definitely is a fan favourite. I don't think it even charted on Billboard when it was released. I think it was like in the 70s, but within the fan community, it's like a massive, gorgeous moment for her. So to hear that song live and to see her on stage when she kind of came around. So basically she kind of comes around in like a circle and she just kind of appears. And it's not really this big, massive, dramatic entrance to an arena that, like, you've seen before in pop concert tours. And I think that's really important to note that, like, Beyonce didn't do a really big, dramatic entrance. She kind of just came out and sang a ballad at the start of the Renaissance tour, of course. That's what I'm talking about. Um, Madonna just kind of swung around on her circle. Like, maybe that's the end of these big, dramatic, over-announced intros i don't know but basically she came out she sounded amazing the lighting was amazing the song sounded gorgeous it was such a moment to hear that live and she really had the crowd on her side now the crowd like i said in belgium wasn't necessarily really over adulated but i think they were all there for her like they paid fucking a lot of money to be there so i think that she definitely felt their love but like it was just really interesting to see how the crowd reacted but it was overall amazing it really really was so with the crowd fully on madonna's side she went into everybody which was her first single which was released in 1982 um so this is the danceteria era like this is post disco andy warhol basquiat um keith haring john jellybean benitez like this was that era she was a dance music act essentially i don't think people took her seriously at all she just made a really really good track with everybody and it was massive in clubs but <clears throat> I think 
it's just so interesting now to see her play that song back, to sing that song live and just be like, this is what I started with and this is where I am. So that was really, really lovely. She then went into the Hollywood Groove, which was like kind of like a remix of obviously Into the Groove, which came out around the time that she did the concert or that she did the appearance with Britney Christina at the VMAs in 2003. Um, so that was really, really nice to see. And then she went into Burning Up on guitar, which I'm going to be honest, I absolutely hated. I hate the song. I really wish she would have sang Dress You Up in place of Burning Up. Like if you're going to do like an early 80s hit. I just don't like the song. I just don't think Burning Up is a good song. I just don't like the song at all. And like it's guitar driven and it was great to see her playing guitar. But I'd rather see, like I just really would, I would have much rather Dress You Up. It's just much, I just think it's a special song. Um, She's performed Burning Up on tour countless amount of times I think she seems to really love it which is interesting because I don't think there's much there but it was amazing to kind of just see the trajectory of where she's kind of come from when she started singing that song in the early 80s to where she is now um so it was amazing like she was literally all these songs were just kind of on the catwalk in front of us it was just so amazing to look like a few meters away from where we were standing and to see her it was really surreal to be honest I just kept screaming like Madonna, we love you. Like, we love you so much. And because the fucking audience was so, everybody on mute. It was like, I don't know, I just felt like I was talking to her, which is just me being a main character and making it all about myself. But it did feel like that. So it was really, really lovely. Um, So then from Burning Up, she went into Open Your Heart, which was really, really gorgeous. There was lots of chairography, let's just say. Um, and her vocals on Open Your Hearts, I really think that was the standout moment for me of how good she sounded. Like, I could not believe how amazing she sounded in person. And, like, I mean fully live, guys. Like, there was times in the show that she missed her intros or she kind of c- caught up on herself and you could hear the discrepancies within that. So I just want to do make... I just do want to make the point that it was fully live, minus one segment, which was, like, erotica and Justify My Love. But she was fully live and she sounded phenomenal. Um, so she then went into Holiday, which was amazing because it was just kind of like a celebration of disco. And like that's like the ultimate, like that's like a track that like your Auntie Maria knows Holiday. You know, if you say, oh my God, I'm going to see Madonna in Antwerp, she'll go, oh my God, it's Holiday. <laughs> and you're like, yes, Maria, Holiday. Like it is, it's like for the girlies. Um, it's an absolutely gorgeous song. Post-disco perfection. Um, and the staging was amazing. I think they really played up on that kind of disco element, just in terms of telling the story of where Madonna came from and like where New York was at at the time, um, which kind of went into a more harrowing, I suppose, part of the show. Um, basically, at the end of Holiday, which I suppose was symbolizing at the end of like the disco era. And I mean post disco when I say disco, this is like 1983. Um, but at the end of the song, in the choreography, Madonna basically kind of taps one of her dancers on the head and he falls into darkness off the stage. And that represented AIDS and the kind of end of the party, essentially, in New York. And it really was the end of the party in New York in 1983 or whatever, the early 80s. After disco, it was like a total kind of reset in terms of everything music, art, politics, culture, and then obviously with the arrival of AIDS in New York in the early 80s, it was just an entire generation that was completely decimated. And I think it's important to obviously think of where we've come now in terms of like HIV and management and celebration of the gorgeous people we have all have in our life 
um, who are living with HIV, HIVIPs, as Veda says, who has an amazing podcast. Just talk to amazing guests, people who are living with HIV, gorgeous people who are thriving and healthy and fabulous. And it's just amazing to kind of, I suppose, look back and see where we came from to where we are now. Um, and I think it's amazing, obviously, that we have the education now and the language and the tools and there's just no stigma attached um, to anyone living with HIV now or to the the cause at, at large. But I think it is important to look back to kind of really um, see how far we've come and to kind of really feel the devastation that did happen in the early 80s with the arrival of AIDS. And I think it's really, really lovely that Madonna has picked up on that and kind of has highlighted that. And in within the show, she worked with the AIDS Memorial, which is um, a group set up by people who have lost loved ones due to AIDS. And they share stories on Instagram and beyond of loved ones who died. And like they give them names and histories and pictures and stories. And it really, really is gorgeous. Um, and Madonna worked with the, the group to produce this segment within the show. So basically, she sings Live to Tell, which is obviously a really harrowing song. And there's lots of emotion and drama and, and sadness and pain in that. Um, but it was the first time she's kind of told the story of the song through the lens of people living with AIDS and the people that she's lost and known who have died from AIDS. So on the screen, there was projections of uh, people who have been like really, really important in her life and who had a massive part in her life in, in New York in the 80s who have since passed from AIDS and it was just really fucking touching and it started off with like these big massive pictures of these really important people and artists and then it just kind of broke down and the pictures got smaller and smaller and smaller and they multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and it just kind of showed how many people we lost like an entire generation and a really kind of touching moment within that was my friend Dylan who I was at the concert with he turned and he looked at me and he said to me he said Billy that could have been us and I looked at him and I said Dylan that would have been us like it absolutely would have which is crazy to think now like a HIV diagnosis now is one thing but an AIDS diagnosis in the 80s was it, it really was bad bad news and it's just so it just conjures up such emotion when I even talk about it to kind of reflect on that so for Madonna to tell that story on stage it's meaningful and gorgeous and poetic and it really like I think that was my highlight standout moment of the show even though it was sad and emotional it was I think it was the most it was one of the most meaningful things that she's done in such a long time um so it was absolutely gorgeous and if you can I would definitely say to look up um the AIDS memorial and even just scroll through their Instagram because the stories are gorgeous the people are gorgeous it just really humanizes an entire, like I said, a generation of people that we did lose. It celebrates them as people who they were, their stories, the funny things they were up to. There's one really prolific. I think she must have been one of the girls who was involved in the creation of the page. Her, I think her friend who she lost, I think his name was Stanley. It'd be like me and Carla, you know, like someone she did, they were literally just the partners and everything. And she posts about them a lot. And it's just so lovely to read their life you know like they were in like the fetish clubs and they would go to like Fire Island for the weekend and it's just like it's a time in New York it was a different era it was just gorgeous anyway that was really really touching for me that was my like standout moment from the show the live to tell moment in the show was then followed by like this really gorgeous um homage to the erotica era which was it probably is one of my favorite Madonna albums it's dark and grimy and sexual 
and was released alongside the sex book which you may have heard of or know of which was one of like commercially the worst periods in her career but like culturally and artistically was when she was at her best um so there was kind of like a string of of songs from that era erotica justify my love which was around the same time and fever um she got she's back in the boxing ring for once which is kind of like a theme that madonna loves to explore throughout the years she famously went out with boxing ring imagery for the sticky and sweet album and i think it really is i think it kind of shows her as a fire which she absolutely is you know she's always regardless of how many punches she takes from the media um or from her peers um i think she's always remains i think she always remains in the ring and fighting which is just a really nice imagery for me to kind of reflect on and that's kind of part of the reason why i love her she just doesn't take a hit lying down you know she gets back up and she kind of keeps fighting so that was really nice imagery and she looked absolutely cunt like she had like a like a boxing robe on but underneath it was just a nightdress you know like a silk red nightdress with fishnets and the most amazing wig and it was just absolutely gorgeous from there she went on to sing human nature crazy for you the beast within which was an interlude which was first used on the reinvention tour um it was actually an artistic project with stephen klein for like an exhibition that came out a year before the reinvention tour so it would have been 2003 but guys, honestly, if you're going to do anything, please Google The Beast Within Madonna Interlude. It's so fucking scary and gorgeous. She's basically reading from, I don't know, the Old Testament. I'm not all up on my Bible knowledge, but one of the Testaments. And it's about like a prophecy. And it's just really, really gorgeous. And the costumes are amazing. And it's obviously Stephen Klein directed. So it's absolutely cunt. And... Yeah, it was just amazing to see that because I actually didn't see any clips from the London shows. I didn't realise that The Beast Within was included on the tour. I just hadn't seen any clips previously. So it was like a shock to me. And guys, to be honest, I wasn't in my right frame of mind on the first night of the show. So I didn't remember. But it was amazing to see that live. And then she kind of from there goes into Die Another Day, which is like a massive fan favourite. It's kind of one of those songs that you love or hate that I just absolutely adore. Um, don't tell me she performed on the catwalk in her full western rig out which was absolutely gorgeous her vocals were amazing and it was just so amazing to see her do the dance and just to kind of hear that kind of roar from the crowd even in the quietest crowds you can hear it on all the videos that's kind of the penultimate moment of the show when she's kind of facing the audience at the end of the catwalk it's absolutely gorgeous Um, one of the kind of weirder moments for me was she sang I Will Survive a cappella on a guitar and she was obviously talking about like being in hospital and thinking about her children. I just kind of found it a bit weird. I was like, I don't want Madonna singing I Will Survive on a guitar. Like if you're going to sing I Will Survive, have Stuart Price produce the audio and go bollocks to the wallocks disco. But like it was just a little bit of a, uh, a dull moment for me. And I kind of did feel towards the latter half of the concert, the kind of autobiographical element was lost. It did seem to kind of dwindle a bit. And it was kind of like, okay, let's just pack a lot of songs in. I don't know. Um, that's just kind of my observation. Um, Ray of Light was also a highlight. It was kind of, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people will have seen the imagery of her in the really, really, really over-the-top fab kind of space age all-in-one jumpsuit with like long straight hair as well. The wig game, guys, in this tour. Like, she did not play around. The wigs are sensational. There was natural hair for the start of the show and then towards the end of the show. 
but kind of in the meantime, in the middle, it was all wigs, which were absolutely gorgeous. Um, a highlight, I suppose, for me towards the end of the tour, to be honest, there was a really weird segment just before the final two songs, we'll say. And it was like a virgin mashed up with Billie Jean, but there was like this kind of like projection on screen of Madonna and Michael Jackson essentially dancing to a mashup of Like a Virgin and Billie Jean. And like whatever about Michael Jackson, we don't even need to go there, okay? But like he has so publicly came out and actively hated her and like said that he wants nothing to do with her. There's like loads of tapes of YouTube, like Michael Jackson tapes. Speaking about Madonna, I don't know, something random. You'll be able to like listen back to like how he essentially hated her. Like he really didn't want anything to do with her. He thought she was disingenuous. He thought she wasn't talented. She latched on to famous people, which she kind of did in a way, which is essentially her talent. But like Michael Jackson publicly hated her. And I don't know why she felt the need to associate herself with him. She doesn't need that at all. So that was kind of weird. There was kind of basically a projection and it was like a, a dancer recreating Madonna's kind of like early like boy toy look and Michael Jackson with the like you know the hat on it was just a silhouette which was actually really really lovely I do appreciate a good silhouette but like why are you sucking Michael Jackson's dick I just felt like there was no need um so that was a bit of a funny one and after that then it was the encore which didn't really feel like an encore and a lot of fans said that they thought it the ending felt a bit rushed which it kind of did, but also I don't expect Madonna to stand on stage and thank the audience for 20 minutes. Like she had a really lovely, genuine kind of spoken word moment earlier on in the show when she opened up about, on the second night, on the Sunday night, she opened up about her mother and it's actually gone quite viral online because I don't think we've ever really seen Madonna be as open and vulnerable. Actually, apologies, it was the first night, it was a Saturday night. Um she spoke about her mother dying obviously madonna's mom passed away when she was three years of age um so really really sad she died of breast cancer and it's always kind of been a story arc in her career and in her life thus far and um, but she really opened up to the crowd on the first night and talked about how her mother must have felt when she was in the hospital dying and how lonely that must have been known that she was you know going to be separated from her kids so that was really lovely and that's the kind of that was a moment I just thought we never would see from her just being so vulnerable on stage again I think it goes back to what she went through this summer um, but that was really really nice so I just kind of wasn't expecting any further you know interaction from there and we didn't really get it I thought that was fair enough but she did wear the most amazing outfit for the final two songs which were Bitch I'm Madonna and then Celebration into Music like it's just Madonna at her early 2020s best like full not like she did she have a wig no I think it was her natural hair but it was pinned back and she had like this white veil this blue corset and she kind of just had this really like mischievous look in her eye it was like she was trolling all of us like she knows she looks ridiculous but ridiculous in the best way ever and like to finish with Bitch I'm Madonna which is a song I absolutely do not rate but it also was very appropriate, I feel, because like, bitch, she is Madonna. And she's saying like, basically, I've been here. I will be here. Um, thanks for coming to see my show. And I'm the fucking number one. So that was amazing. And then obviously Celebration is an absolute track. I touched on that earlier. 
Um, it's Paul Oakenfold's collaboration, which just goes down so, so well. I think even now, more so than ever, was originally released in 2009. And then into a little bit of music. I would have liked to hear more of music. Obviously, that was my kind of intro to the Madonna sphere. But um, yeah, it was just it was just so, it just really felt like a celebration. It really was a celebration. Like I said, I was it was one of my favorite outfits she's ever worn. She just looked like she was completely having a laugh with us, which was amazing. The dancers were all amazing. I think she really you could see by her that she was kind of full of love and really receptive of the energy of the crowd, which, like I said, wasn't amazing, but she knew we were all there to see her. So, yeah, it was really, it was an amazing tour. I'm going to have a little break. I just want to have a sip. So, yeah, 7 out of 10, which is really, really high. Like, I'm saying, like, if 7 out of 10 is the celebration tour, for me, the confessions tour is 10 out of 10, which is, like, over 10 years ago, like, huge, massive gorgeous like nearly 20 years ago and when she was obviously a lot younger it was a different she had an album to promote there was obviously different stage direction she was at a different stage in her life so for a 65 year old pop icon to be going on tour so boldly telling the story of her life like amazing like she really was amazing um so guys i hope you love my little recap guys join me next week as we continue omg with billy bunzari i don't know what we're going to talk about just yet I haven't really gotten there, but I will get really inspired. Think about something gorgeous, deliver it to you in my chaotic but passionate manner. Carl will have the job of editing it all down. I'll fill you guys in on my week. And yeah, I really hope to strike up a real friendship. Um, thanks so much for listening. I want to see this everywhere. Tag me, share the episode, share the video teasers, rate and review. Please do help me out with this one, guys. I really want to get it off on the ground. Um, like I've said I've made a lot of space let's just say in my life to really work on this and I really do want to make it a thing so please do share the love I appreciate everyone so much for all their love and support so far like for me to even get to the stage where it's a possibility that I can do a podcast it really has not gone unnoticed and I love all of our kikis in my DMs um, so please do reach out and tell me what you guys think of the episode. Send it to your friends. Give us a review. And yeah, I hope everyone has an absolutely gorgeous day, evening, moment, week, month. Lots of love. Billy Bonzari. You and it looks so good. I lost my memory and I